This is Sarah Stewart-Holland. And this is Beth Silvers. Thank you for joining us for Pantsuit Politics. Welcome to Pantsuit Politics. We are so glad you're joining us for this very, very special episode. We are celebrating our seventh birthday here at the podcast. We're going to be talking about what we've learned over the past seven years and some of our favorite memories from our time as podcasters. We're also going to be talking to Bloomberg reporter Ashley Carmen about the state of the podcasting industry. We love Ashley and think she always has such smart things to say about what's going on with podcasting. So we thought this would be a good moment to share some of that with all of you. And we'll wrap up the show by sharing some of your reflections on seven years of Pantsu Politics. We are aware that we are less than a week out from a midterm election, and we do think Mm -hmm. that's important. And our message to you today is vote, vote early, vote wisely, encourage your Mm. friends and neighbors to vote, take people with you to vote, make your voices heard, and then we just have to wait. And so instead of doing a bunch of wild speculation today and spinning ourselves up into anxiety, we're going to step back and look at the big picture of what we do in at podcasting. And speaking of, you're going to hear Ashley Carmen talk about video as a big part of what's going on in the podcast industry. We are not really there yet at Pantsuit Politics, but we have made a, a first step We're in that direction. And our tiptoe has taken us onto YouTube as a platform. This is a very easy way to share the episodes. You'll find the episodes there on our channel. We do not have a video of Sarah and me. It is just the audio, but you can hear that audio on YouTube if it's where you like to listen. And it is a super easy way mm-hmm. to get this show in the hands of people who say, well, like, I don't do podcasts or I don't know how to listen to a podcast podcast or podcasts aren't my thing, you can say that's great. Just turn it on YouTube then. And we would love for you to do that. And up next here is our birthday celebration. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. Olive in June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsu Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is, I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries, I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less, no thawing required. 
You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. Happy birthday, Beth. Happy birthday, Sarah. Can you believe we've done this for seven years? Absolutely not. I'm so glad you responded to my email, which I still have. We'll put it on Instagram where I said, would you want to start a podcast? I Can I be honest with you? I didn't think you'd say yes. What do you think I would say? Well, like, I just like thought you'd say. Like a gracious no? <laughs> yeah, like a, I thought you would say like, a, listen, I got a full-time job. I have a new baby. Those things were true. And you had such a serious job. Mm-hmm. And I thought that you would say, like, you know, a, a blog post once or a couple, once or twice is one thing, but I'm just not up for that level of commitment. But, you know, I ask people for things all the time <laughs> with no expectation of their answer. That's sort of my vibe. I'm so happy you said yes, though. I'm so happy that you asked me. It changed everything for me. It made me a much less serious person, and I'm thrilled about that. <laughs> I'm much happier, that, much it, less serious person. You're a serious in a different way. That's fair. You're That's more, fair. You're less serious and more purpose-driven. How about that? Ooh, I like that. Nailed it. Thank you. You've been good at Thank branding you. since the beginning. That's that's part of your gift. Listen, I can turn a phrase. I can turn a, Sometimes I get lost in a sentence, but other times I can turn a phrase. Well, we just had this conversation the other day about kind of what we're doing and how we're doing it and all all kinds of things. And I said to you, you know, I'm I'm married now. I'm with you. Like whatever happens, we're just we're together. We're not going to there's not going to be a breakup here. <laughs> like uh we're we're in it. This was the thing I wanted to talk about as we're looking at 7 years. When you think back to those beginning episodes, let's say the first 6 months. How much has changed and how much has stayed the same as far as what you think about me and our relationship and what we're talking about and the audience? That's a big question. Well, let me take those one at a time, I think. So how I think about you has changed dramatically because I really did not know you well. I knew college, Sarah, and I knew that college me bears almost no resemblance to the person sitting down at the microphone. So I wanted to give you that space also to say, I'm getting to know adult Sarah, not college Sarah. And I think we both did that really well. I think that's a way in which we were unusually generous with each other. You don't meet a lot of people who can say, I'm willing to see you on a new page. And so that was a real gift. And I think you extended it beautifully to me. And I tried to do the same. And so now, obviously, I know adult Sarah very well. And I, you know, depend on you and I learn from you. And I always like it when we get to do interviews for other shows together because it Mm -hmm. gives me this really clear opportunity to, like, articulate here are all the things that she's brilliant at and all the things that she's taught me and all the ways that she's supported me. So, you know, it's it's been a total making of, you know, the relationship. And I that's been the most fun part. It's so funny to me because it feels like we treat each other very carefully 
the same way we did in the beginning, but for different reasons, yeah. right? It's so funny because it's like in the beginning, I think we were so careful because we didn't know each other. And I think we both knew. I knew instantly, not to brag on myself, but I knew the first time we had a conversation on the phone, the the famous conversation where I said, we're not going to talk anymore unless we're recording. I knew instantly we had something, that our conversational flow was very complimentary and interesting. I will say it is equivalent to the the feeling I had when I met Nicholas. I, You know, I always tell people, like, I fell in love with Nicholas, and I thought, until I die, we'll be interested in how his brain works and what he's thinking. And I think I felt that same way with you. Like, until I die, we'll be interested in what she thinks about this. Don't always agree with her, but interested in how her brain works. Because it was different from mine, but not so different from mine, you know? Um, and so it was like there was this this very carefulness. And now the carefulness is just because I know you so well that I'm like— Oh, I know. Like that's a that's a not a sore spot, but you know what I mean. You just you can navigate the person's inner life as well as you can ever navigate someone's inner life. But when you when you are more aware of it and you have more transparency and vulnerability, which our relationship has had from the beginning, you could just you know that you know that terrain much better. And so you're you're taking it's like the, again, it's the carefulness you take whether you don't know the ter- terrain or you know it so well that you know where to be careful. You know yeah, what I mean? I think that's a I think that's really well said. So uh, how do you think about the audience? I was not confident at the beginning of this that we would get to do it for seven years. Mm-hmm. I would have been shocked that we were going to get to do it for seven years. I was also not confident that anyone would listen. And so when we started realizing that we had an audience and not only that people were listening, but that they were interacting with us, I went through this very intense period of feeling like I needed to study that audience. So I Mm. responded to every email. I read every email more than once. I responded to every tweet. You know, I was kind of in this mode, even though I had this full-time job of being a little bit obsessive about the audience. And I've gone through a lot of iterations of that because I think given my background and my training, I studied first And then that led me into the space where I sort of started to think about the audience like customers, like how do we always make the audience happy? How do we ensure that they're having a great experience every time we're here? And you really helped pull me out of that by saying, like, sometimes we're going to say things that are challenging to people who listen or that they don't enjoy hearing. And that is okay. It is not a customer business transaction. It's something different and broader than that. And so now I just think of the audience as the continuation of our discussion, that we Mm -hmm. have our conversation and then all of these beautiful people and some who are less beautiful interactions, but mostly by and large, (laughs) incredibly beautiful people are going to pick it up and continue to transform it into other things. And sometimes they'll share that with us and lots and lots of times they won't, but you can feel it happening. And that is the healthiest, happiest place I've been. What about you? Well, so much of our beginning was informed by my work in blogging. And so I had an experience with a very small audience, almost all of which had personal relationships with me. Like so much of my blogging was driven by people who, you know, would see I post something on Facebook because they knew me and they had some sort of connection to me and then they would read it. I didn't have a lot of people who read my parenting blog that I just like didn't know. There was some sort of tenuous connection. So I guess I thought that's what the podcast was going to be. I think if I really like traveled back in time and got inside my own head, that's probably where I was at as I thought, We'll build a pretty decent listenership just based on people who know us and want to listen. I had no framework or anticipation for 
the audience that we have now. I mean, it has just been a complete amazing surprise and blessing that there's just now this entire, you know, network universe of people who listen. I mean, some who have like just become our people and our friends. We're finally after seven years going to meet Bren face to face. Our North, this We used to call Bren one of our listeners from the very beginning, our North Star. We'd be like, well, how would Bren feel about this? He's our North Star. I mean, that's how like connected we are to so many of you guys. And so it, it's funny. It's like, we got this audience, and now I've built these, like, tenuous connections, sort of like I'm used to um, from the blogging. But it's so different. I was not prepared for how different of a medium it was and how intimate it is to be in someone's ears and to build that sort of trust and relationship. Because I do feel like we are in relationship with our audience. Absolutely. Even the ones who don't write. I know it's parasocial and there's all these descriptors, but it doesn't feel parasocial to me. It is – I mean, it's a little – weird. But because our podcast is not sort of an affectation, like I'm not playing a character on here. This is who I am. The only difference is I cuss a little bit less. And so it doesn't, when people are like, well, they don't know you. And I'm like, they kind of do. You know, they, no, we're not going to dinner. Although sometimes we do. But like the people who listen to our podcast, they do know us because politics is such a personal and vulnerable topic because we share so much of our lives on here because we're friends and we're in conversation so with each other. So we're being – they're a part of that conversation between the two of us, which is very a very close personal friendship. I don't feel like – I can't imagine what it's like to be like a TV character and people are walking up to you and it's really – it's not you at all. They are reacting to, to a completely fictional character because it doesn't – it's so different for us because it is this – is, this is who I am. This is me. And so I think that's also why we've been able to do it for seven years, because it isn't such a, you know, sort of part performance. Like, it, it, it's really different what we show up here and do here. What's changed for you in the way that you work? Like, the way you prepare for an episode from the beginning and oh that kind gosh. of the habits and systems? That's a, that's the biggest change. That is absolutely the biggest change for me over the past seven years. When we started – I was still blogging. I was doing social media consulting. I was about to run for office. I was doing this podcast. So I was cobbling many things together, as had been my way since I moved to Kentucky in 2009. I had not had sort of like a full-time nine-to-five job. And it took me several years, even several years, I would say at least a year past when Pantsuit Politics absolutely was my full-time job under any definition for me to recognize, oh, (sighs) This is my full-time job. This is not a side hustle anymore because I had just been in that frame of mind for so long. It really had to be sort of this conscious recognition. I'm moving into our new house helped where I had an office and a studio. I think that's probably where I really shifted. And then when I lost the re-election, it was like, that's fine. You have a whole other thing you are doing now. And so it's it's much more professional than I mean, for a long time, like, we would sit down and be like, what you want to talk about? (laughs) Uh, And we would just talk about it. And now it's like, you know, the content planning is way, way, way more intense. And there's more of a process surrounding it than it used to be. And, you know, sort of our, our social media presence, not to mention, like, having a team, having employees, owning a business, like having accountants and all that serious stuff. That's very... I would say the the professionalization of pantsy politics is absolutely the biggest change over the seven years. You know, I have always been 
addicted to working. I am not a stranger to I'm going to do this all day, every day. I think the Mm. biggest shift for me when we started, I felt that I needed to be a very online person, that Mm. I really needed to track what the conversation was on Twitter, that I really needed to know what people in cable news were talking about. And over time, I think I've realized that actually being a very offline person is much more valuable to what we do and being more involved in my community and more anchored in my friendships and reading long form writing and and really being able to back out of that very online space is better for what we create than trying to to just be in the mix. Absolutely. I mean, I think what we've we practice here is a very holistic politics. That's what I'm going to call it. And I can't do that if I'm not a person in the world. Like, listen, some of my my best sort of aha moments and things I want to talk about come because I'm reading something else, come because I'm like redecorating a room or throwing a party or going for a walk with a friend and they say something that triggered. Like, I've learned, like, no, there's, there's no to, – to let my brain do what it does and come here with fresh insights and things to share with our audience – I have to be out there living a a whole and complete life because pundits who do that all the time are boring, hot take. Well, it's a form of trust, right? Mm -hmm. It's a form of trusting yourself and trusting the audience and trusting our partnership, knowing I don't have to know everything about what we're going to talk about because you're going to know things. And there Mm -hmm. are two of us for a reason. And our audience will know things and they'll teach us those things as they continue what we're making here. And I think settling into that trust in every respect has taught me so much in the past seven years. I feel like I've grown, you know, 35 years or something in terms of perspective because of that. I think there was a real pivot point when I realized, oh, she researches different than I do. I don't have to feel guilty because I don't research like she does. Yeah. I like realizing like, oh, I see it up here. She sees it down here. And that's the strength. Because I do think that there was... Sort of, I felt this pressure and more of a a temptation to not not compete with you, but to compare. The more professional it got, like, you know, the stakes get higher. There's more money involved. There's people involved. And when it's a partnership, there is that comparison. And I think we've navigated that really well. But I won't lie and say it's not hard to, like, to remember, like, no. Like, you're really good at saying Everything is okay here. We are fine. Like, just because you're better, I think, at navigating the business stuff because you just have much more experience of saying, like, I think there's a temptation over the professionalization to treat everything like a problem. And you're like, no, Mm -hmm. we're just trying to get better. There's no problem here. And I think that's been really helpful to me. But that was a journey. I mean, that's like a journey you have to take, I think, over the course of a business. And I think we're really good at articulating, like, we want to grow the community, but we don't – perpetual growth. Nobody here at Pantsuit Politics is trying to get big enough to sell, just FYI. Like, you're going to hear a conversation with Ashley Carmen next where we talk about the scalability that's like the always goal inside this industry. Not here at Pantsuit Politics, guys. That's not the life we want to live. We're not doing that. Just sleep easy knowing neither Beth nor I are here trying to get Pantsuit Politics so big we sell it for a cabillion dollars. Hard pass. No, we do not want that. I think we think about the money side, which we will talk more specifically about in a minute. I think we think more of the money side in terms of responsibility. What's our responsibility Mm, to our families and to the kind of lives that we want to have with them? What responsibilities do we have to our employees now? Because they are 
integral to this business, it is a huge leap of faith to say, I will work full time for an independent podcast. And so Mm -hmm. making sure that we are being responsible to Elise and Maggie and to our partners at Studio D. And then I think the biggest bucket is the responsibility to the audience beyond those baseline sustainability factors. How do we make sure we are always investing in doing what we do better? And so that kind of takes me to the content side and like what have we changed on in terms of how we see the world? Mm -hmm. I will tell you that the investment in the content has changed me dramatically. There is no experience in my life that I think has taught me as much in terms of just a field trip as going to the Iowa caucuses. That was a very profound experience for me. Yeah, no, I think that that is true. With the ways in which we have incorporated our listeners and what they've taught us has been really, really important to me and has changed the way I think about our content. I mean, I, I you know, at the beginning, in some ways, nothing has changed in some ways. It has changed because I really just want to sit down with you and chat about the news. Obviously, that's not exactly what we do anymore. The audience's presence is more integral to what we do now. Like, it feels like you're in the room with us more than it did in the very beginning. And I think the moment for me was during the Brett Kavanaugh confirmation hearings. And I tear up every time I think about it. We got an email from someone who had never told anyone their story of sexual assault. Yeah. And she shared it with us. And I will never forget that as long as I live. And I thought, oh, man, like, you just kind of feel the weight of that. You feel the weight of people telling you, I'm voting for the first time. I'm running for office for the first time. I've mended the relationship with my father. And you just, it's its heavy in the best possible way. You know, we, we started our new book, Now What?, with the quote from William James, we are like islands in the sea, separate on the surface, but connected in the deep. I remember the first time I read that quote and sending it to you and thinking, like, this is what we do. Like, it just feels like we're deep diving. It feels like every time we start this podcast and we're on this island and we think we're talking about one political topic and then we just dive all the way down and we see and hear from all of you and see all of that connection and realize what is below the surface of so many things that are happening in American life and around the world. And it, I just wish everyone could have that experience and could feel that and could see that connection and and feel that pr- I feel that presence I feel that connection to you and to our audience when I get frustrated or anxious or sad or upset like it has it guides me in a really really profound way and it's hard to express the gratitude I feel for that and how much impact that has had over the past seven years of my life. When I read The Body, which is subtitled A Guide for Occupants by Bill Bryson, Mm -hmm. I left that book thinking it is a miracle that we feel well ever a day in our lives. There's so much happening here and it's all connected and it's connected in ways that science can kind of get to, but there's a lot of art and mystery as well. And it's just miraculous that we function at all. That has come to be my perspective about the United States of America and about any society in which people govern themselves. Just It's just a miracle that anything happens. That is a totally different place than I started. 
I -hmm. sat down on this podcast very much with my like business leader hat on thinking there's some really obvious things that we could be doing better here. And I've got some ideas about how to do it. (laughs) And the more we do it, especially the more we travel and see different communities and what animates those communities, what challenges those communities, especially as we learn more about the natural world. Like part of what I love about making this show is how much I get to think about geography and climate and different forms of energy. It's just a wonder that we function at all. And that's given me a lot more patience and respect for where we are. Now, that doesn't mean that we have no lines or principles, uh, that everything is okay, that we're going to entertain every perspective. We've talked a lot about this in the past. It just starts me in a place of greater contentment and peace because I've been able to to do that dive and to see more. And I know that there are uh, depths that we have not explored yet, and that makes me excited to keep doing the work. Well, we're going to pivot a little bit and talk more about the business side of podcasting and the industry itself with Ashley Carmen. Ashley is a reporter covering podcast music in the broader audio world at Bloomberg. She used to be the senior reporter at Verge covering podcasting, and she wrote Hot Pod, the podcast industry's preeminent newsletter, and she has a new newsletter now. She's fantastic. She's the podcast reporter, in my personal opinion. We love her here at Pansy Politics, and we can't wait to share our conversation. If you're looking for a very quick salon quality, but not salon priced manicure, Olive and Jean has you covered. We've talked about Olive and Jean's Manny system before. It has everything that you need for a professional manicure in one box, salon grade tools, your choice of six polishes. Those polishes are gonna last you for seven days or more. The cost breaks down to about $2 a manicure. Olive and June also has press-ons if you want. What I love though, is that Olive and June each season is coming out with new colors. And I just got a set of spring and summer colors in quick dry polish. And they say this dries in about a minute. It seemed dry to me in about 30 seconds. It was not kidding about being quick dry. I also love the light colors in this set. There is a huge range. My favorite one is called Kitten. It's like a pinkish gray. The quick dry polish gives you full coverage in one or two coats. It lasts for more than five days and it is offered in more than 40 cruelty-free and vegan polishes. Olive and June just understands what's happening in our lives, that we need to move quickly, but we want to look great and feel great and have fun in the process. Visit oliveandjune.com slash pantsuit for 20% off your first system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash P-A-N-T-S-U-I-T for 20% off your first Manny system. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash pantsy. Pantsy. 
just finished A Court of Thorns and Roses and craving another fantasy world to devour, Dipsy's got you. Dive into spicy enemies to lovers' tales or embark on an epic romance between immortal fae and sworn foes. They've got fantasy romance stories perfect for your morning walk, late night, or long bath. Dipsy is an app full of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods and goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut to explore the bounds of your pleasure. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipseastories.com slash pantsuit. dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. Before we get started with Ashley, we talk a lot about monetization, and so we thought we would go over a little bit about the monetization structure here at Pantsuit Politics, which we've never really talked about on the podcast. We've talked about it on our premium channels, but not here on the podcast. My favorite thing in the world is telling someone what I do and then figuring out how to ask me how we make money. Because there's always <laughs> this awkward moment. Like, so do you do you make money from that? How does that happen? And it happens through several different channels for us. By far, the sustaining driver of Pantsuit Politics financial resources is listener support. It has been since the beginning. It always will be, I think. The subscriptions that you buy on Patreon or Apple Podcast subscriptions are what allow us to make the show, hands down. It was a very important turning point in Pantsuit Politics. The first Patreon drive is how we brought on a professional audio engineer. Our OGs remember that Chad and Nicholas and Beth used to audio engineer the show, not me because I was smart enough never to learn how to do it. And we remember we would always have like the people be like, it's really loud in my left ear, but not in my right ear. Sarah's really loud and I got to turn Beth all the way up. And it's just, (laughs) God bless you all. Thank you for hanging in. Hanging with us. So that's what we did with our first membership drive, which was on like another platform called Payworld. And y'all, the very last subscriber, we had one left from like five years ago. And she finally was like, hey, how do I get this? And we're like, we love you. Bless you for paying the $5 a month for the last five years. But she was the last one. So now everybody's on Patreon or Apple. But I always just love that little pay world. It was like $15 a month. It just made me, it just connected me to our history in a very important way. We could not do what we do without Patreon and Apple Podcast subscriptions. It's just, that's the long and short of it is the people who support our show. And I think also the content we create on those channels makes us better podcasters. Absolutely. It's so so good. It's so helpful. It's, we do create a lot of content, not going to lie to you, but when I look at this sort of universe of the content we create now as compared to seven years ago, I just, I'm very proud of us. Me too. And it, It makes me think more flexibly, too, about the audience because some people subscribe as a customer for the product. I only pay for Mm -hmm. it when I know I'm going to be listening to that extra content. If I'm not listening, I'm coming out. But then there are people who never listen to any of the premium content and just want what we do here on the show to continue. And 
All of those people are important. Every $5 a month, $15 a month, $15 a month really sustains the show Are all the way to our executive producers. That is the most important revenue that we have. The second bucket is advertising, which you obviously hear on the show. Advertising is a much smaller component for us than lots of podcasts because we are a big podcast in the universe of all podcasts. We are a tiny podcast in the universe of podcasts with advertising. The reality is that for advertisers, a political podcast is a hard sell. We mm-hmm. have politics in our name. And so, you know, I think if we had our this audience size and we were talking about, you know, parenting or fashion, our advertising share would be much larger. But it just spooks people. It just spooks people. That's okay. It's yeah. okay, everybody. And advertising is much more volatile. You're going to hear a lot about that in the conversation with Ashley. So those two things, speaking events, help us tremendously financially and also improve our content. We do it mm-hmm. primarily to improve our content. And that's maybe a thing we should articulate because we say this in our team all the time, that we do a lot of different things, right? We speak. We write books. Podcasting is the sun of our solar system. We exist to make this podcast, and everything we do around it has to support that or it can't be in our universe. So speaking helps. We've had some revenue from books, but the primary thing is listener support with advertising as our second major funding source. And so with that background, why don't we share our conversation with Ashley Carmen? Ashley, welcome to Pantsuit Politics. Hello. It's good to talk to you guys. Well, we invited you here to discuss the state of the industry. It sounds so official. I really like it. But it does feel like we need to start by defining the industry. How do you even think about the industry of podcasting, especially as it's starting to encompass everything from independent podcasts like us to huge media conglomerates like Amazon and Spotify and Apple that are merging podcast with all other audio like music and and books. I noticed in your bio you describe it as like audio the audio world. So how how are you thinking about that audio world? Yeah, you're right. Like it is getting increasingly difficult. When I first started covering podcasting, and this is super nerdy wonky, but like when I first started covering it, everyone thought of podcasts as something that had an RSS feed. So basically mm-hmm. you could listen to a podcast in any podcatcher. You could even have your own RSS, like you could load the RSS page feed on a web page, like RSS feed was really the key here. And increasingly, we've kind of seen these walled gardens with like a Spotify, for example, um, and even video platforms like YouTube trying to, you know, call video video podcasts a thing, mm-hmm. um, which I'm not a purist. Like I'm like, sure, it's a video podcast. Fine. <laughs> um, I, incre- I think like podcasters, yeah, it's a tough term, but I think increasingly I'm just sort of thinking of it as like you distribute an audio only feed. But I do believe, and we could talk about this more, like that all of these worlds are just going to blur together and it's someone who's just a creator online and maybe audio is their preferred medium. Mm. So we use the word creator a lot. How much do you feel like you have creators to cover versus manufacturers at this point? Mm. It just seems like so much content is recycled into the form of a podcast. Mm. You wrote a big story about people paying to be on podcasts, how now a lot of podcasts are paying for their downloads in numerous formats. And it feels much more like industry to me than art form, but maybe I'm being too judgmental about it, which I would be open (laughs) to. I have that tendency. (laughs) I mean, like, luckily, the cool thing about podcasts is that the barrier to entry is pretty low. 
you know, mm-hmm. folks can really honestly, even if you aren't that great at editing audio, there are some apps that have made that a lot easier. I'm thinking of like a descript where you can actually edit words like a transcript instead of actual audio. Obviously, mm. Spotify's Anchor has increasingly tried to do this, as well as other apps. Um, so the barrier to entry is pretty low, which is cool. Breaking through is difficult. And also, there is a thriving independent production company world where there's a lot of just like audio excited people who run their own companies. But yes, like there is also this other part of the industry that's very corporate. And, you know, like that's increasingly becoming more of it. But but it's not to the point where it's like music and labels where it's like you really need a label behind you to break through. Like I do believe that independence can still make it happen in that space. I'm interested too, because when you're saying like audio is their preferred content, it feels like to me like that is not the industry's preferred content model. It feels like this push, especially from the big media conglomerates, and you've covered this a lot in your reporting, that that push to become to make podcasting more like television than radio, like more serial, more like sort of contained forms, seasons, story driven, less like, you know, host driven. You've had some host driven successes, especially under the like c- celebrity model, but not a ton. And it just feels like there was that great tweet that ran somebody was like, stop trying to make podcasting. TV, just let them do audio. That's their Mm -hmm. art form. I mean, yeah, you're hitting on like so many things in that statement. But like, yeah, I think what we're seeing sort of a variety of factors here. One is you have all these big companies making investments in the space, like big time Mm -hmm. investments, and they need to recoup that money. And audio advertising is growing year over year, but it's nowhere near the levels of video-based advertising. So if you're a company, I'm I'm talking about companies specifically, but even if you're an independent creator, I mean, YouTube allows you to monetize so easily. You could just turn it on. Spotify doesn't have that yet. It's, I mean, it does have it, but like you have to be pretty big to take advantage of that, I think. Most platforms don't allow for that. Apple doesn't have that. So really video is a way to bring more ad dollars into the space and recoup that investment and, and start making money. As far as TV narrative-driven shows, I mean, there's a little bit of prestige there for sure, I think. They're hoping that there would be derivative works that come out of that so that they could be mm. adapted for TV. So it's sort of like the podcast is the pilot almost. Right. Um, but at the same time, I think that networks that are really audio-oriented do see how important having an identifiable host is because like your show, your audience knows you, you are hosts that they identify with, like they like you. And I think audio oriented networks do see that in that importance. And I think they also recognize again, for ad money, you need an always on show that you can monetize against and a back catalog. Mm. So there are a couple different strategies here and different networks approach it differently. I value in your reporting that you are very descriptive. Like when you said that you are not a purist about video podcast, I can tell in your reporting that you're never trying to say like, this is what podcasting should be. You're saying this is what is happening in front of me. I wonder over time if you are developing a sensibility about the ethics of this industry. It's something Sarah and I talk about all the time. And we think about it in two layers. So as a podcast, what are our ethics around advertisement, transparency around partnerships, things like that? And then separately, we think about what does it mean to be in the news and politics space when you're not a journalist, you're not a pundit, you're still sharing some information that people rely on and how are we how do we behave ethically there? So I just wonder what comes to mind for you when we talk about what is ethical in podcasting as a business. 
Yeah. I mean, I'm fascinated by that space just across the broader creator economy, quote unquote. I mean, it's all so new. And I think the norms are being written now. And I think especially in podcasting, like you mentioned this article, and I'll explain it just for folks who haven't seen this. So I wrote an article about podcasters accepting money from guests. So sometimes you know, maybe a podcaster would pay a guest to come on, like an appearance fee, but this is more guests paying podcasters to bring mm. them on the show. So almost like a sponsored episode. In many cases, the disclosures are just totally different across the board. And one one example I had in my piece, there was no disclosure. It was included after I reached out for comment. But, you know, for <laughs> me, I'm just interested in how people are trying to make money now. Like, how is this world developing? How are people approaching new business models? What are they trying? It's sort of not up to me to decide what is ethical there. The industry kind of has to decide for itself what it's willing to accept. And advertisers have to be willing to say, like, what they're willing to accept. So, you know, I think, like, with that piece, the FTC has its rules about disclosures for ads. You know, you are supposed to disclose if there's money exchanging hands. So, there, that's like, a thing that they say. But the industry itself has to decide, like, how do we feel about this? And independent creators like yourselves also probably have your own minds. So yeah, I I just find it so fascinating to see what new things people are trying. Well, I mean, we call it the words we use often in pansy politics as the wild, wild west, because it just feels like things are shifting and changing. And I'm wondering as you look back over your sort of time reporting on podcasting, what you feel like were the real pivot points. Like I know everybody talks about when Apple put the podcast app native on the iPhone. So you didn't have to download a podcast app, which also aligned with Serial's viral success. I don't think that was an accident. But I wonder, you know, like the entrance of Patreon on the scene, when you started to see these these big media companies get involved. As you look back, you know, over your years of reporting, when do you see some, you know, if we're in the wild, wild west and the town is being built, when when were some of those buildings going up down the main thoroughfare? Well, I think things really started to change when Spotify entered the scene in mm-hmm. earnest and made a lot of its acquisitions. And you could focus on a variety of acquisitions. Like their firsts were Gimlet and Anchor and then Parcast followed. For me, the more interesting acquisition actually was its acquisition of Megaphone, which is a service I'm sure much much of your audience is not aware of, but it's essentially where you host a podcast. And for Spotify, what they want to do is also monetize podcasts through it. So the idea would be your podcast, just as an example, could host that Megaphone and you could allow Spotify to insert ads into your show. And therefore, Spotify makes some money and you make some money. And that's kind of like how YouTube does it, for example, with their ads. So for me, that was actually the bigger moment in Spotify's trajectory, mm. just because I think tapping into that ad world is, is is a huge opportunity for Spotify, more so than owning a podcast network, potentially. But they needed the network to make it happen. I think Amazon acquiring Wondery. Like a, a lot of this is around the tech platforms entering the space. Like for me, those are the big moments. And increasingly, we've just seen more and more investments, more and more acquisitions. I think that's when the conversation really changed. And those are the moments I really think about. It's so interesting, though, because they mirror so closely what I saw in blogging, which was the people who had independent success before them, including us, before the big media companies entered the scene, were able to monetize more successfully. But once monetization became the focus, you really lose that sort of 
democratization because like what you said, their focus is monetization, not creating good content. They think it's like, how many times do we have to, how many different industries do we have to do this in before we realize like, it's not that simple to create good content, guys. Like, it's just not as easy as you think it is, no matter the forum, whether it's blogging or podcasting or television or radio or whatever the case may be. You just see this pattern play out where it's like, well, we'll just do celebrity-hosted podcasts, and that's what people want. Or we'll just do a million true crime podcasts because that's what people want. And then you get this reporting that's like, it's really hard to launch a podcast. But you can see like sort of the strategy is just launch as much as you can and see what sticks. <laughs> you see that in a lot of networks, big and small. But that's not that's not how you get, you know, lightning in a bottle. And it's just... It's so interesting to watch it play this cycle sort of play out over and over again. Totally. It's all scale plays, obviously. Mm-hmm. Like if you're a big company that wants to hire a lot of people and continue to be massive and publicly offered and make your investors happy, yeah. you need scale. And when you yeah. have scale, you're going to be focused on monetization. So yeah, I think the incentives sort of change in podcasting a little bit. You've written a little bit about the intimacy of the format and how it motivates people to take action in their lives and how that has political consequences for sure. I wonder what some of the most interesting examples of that you've seen are. Yeah. I mean, so the top of mind example, just because it's the most recent example um, that maybe you're also thinking of, is I wrote a piece with a colleague of mine, Davey Alba. We wrote about um, some research that some researchers put together that basically there were some podcasts that were encouraging their audience to call hospitals and emergency workers to basically mm. protest like their treatment of covid patients in in some cases mostly yeah basically all covid patients and so that was like just very interesting for me and the reason why i wanted to write about that research is because that was just like huh if this is really what is pushing people to take action. Like that's fascinating, you know, like that the podcast host has this ability to encourage their audience to actually do something in the real world and take steps. But on a more innocuous level, I mean, this shouldn't come as a surprise. I'm sure some of your audience has bought things based on, you know, the advertisements you've read or endorsements you've made. And so that's why podcasting in the past historically has really been oriented around those promo codes because, the host's word goes really far. And I'm personally just very intrigued by that dynamic because I think it's different from TV or any Mm -hmm. other medium. Maybe influencers and like digital media is sort of similar, but I mean, increasingly a powerful medium. Yeah. I mean, I'll never forget Mark Maron talking about everywhere he goes, he has to take a bag because people bring him so many gifts. And sort of being like, what? And that's how our experience, you know, every greet line we do, people bring us things. It's so generous. But you're in people's ears for hours a week. That is a very intimate relationship. And it's like, that's what I think is frustrating with this, like, sort of march of monetization industry is like, you guys, you can't scale intimacy. That's not how it works. (laughs) Like, you know, like, that takes time to establish. You're not going to get that right off the bat. And it's like the other thing you can do is create this sort of long form, deeply reported sort of the serial model. But that takes a lot of time and money and investment. It isn't exactly scalable either. And you can just see this battle, you know, playing out across the platform. And then you see like, I mean, the reporting you did on Spotify, like, you know, they laid off a bunch of Gimlet people. Those people felt frustrated. They felt like they'd never been supported, that they got acquired. And then, you know, the relationship they built with the audience 
or it wasn't marketed, it wasn't expanded. And, you know, there's a, I think there's a lot of frustration in the industry right now. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I guess it comes down to why you think podcast listeners are listening. Like, is it for, mm. and maybe everyone has their different reasons. Like I like to listen to a podcast when I'm going on a walk because I'm a phone person. So I like to talk on the phone, but if I'm not talking on the phone, like having someone talking to me kind of fills that need. But maybe some podcast networks would say, well, this is pure entertainment. Like you're just bored. You don't feel like looking at a screen. You want like storytelling. You want whatever it is. You want to get informed. Like I feel like there's maybe different reasons people listen and these networks are still kind of trying to figure out like what maybe the scalable reason is. I really celebrate that you're a phone person. I never hear anyone say that. I feel like everyone is always bashing talking on the phone. I love that you talk on the phone. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm I'm a major phone person. Probably why I chose this job. I was fixing to say, that's why your stuff's so well reported. <laughs> you know, when I talk to people about what we do, I always joke that we cannot have a five-year plan because things change so rapidly in this space and that really we cannot even have a five-month plan uh, being both podcast mm -hmm. and news driven. But I wonder, recognizing how unfair the question is, if you look ahead, <laughs> what do you see around the corner? What do you think the next big trends in this industry will look like? Yeah. I mean, the, the immediate things I'm watching is just this broader macro economy and the ad mm -hmm. market, just because I think podcasting, again, is really trying to grow its ad market. Now you have inflation and the economy changing and advertisers pulling back. So like in the very immediate term and going into next year, that's really what I'm watching and seeing how the how resilient the industry is against that. And then going from there, I think there's going to be a lot of open questions about just how, again, the business develops. Like, is it that where we're at is where we're at and this is what the industry is? Is it going to continue to grow? Does it just turn into this sort of blob of content and we can't really define what's a podcast, what's a video, who's a creator, who's a podcaster, all of those terms. I mean, th that's like the main the main things I'm watching, I guess. And just seeing, I think subscriptions is very interesting. The industry likes to talk about subscriptions because obviously you can buy them through Apple Podcasts and Patreon and now Substack is doing them too and tons of other platforms as well. So I think that's like an area to watch. Y'all are obviously already great at that. So it already exists. I just don't know if the big players who aren't so independent and host focused are going to find success there or not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, I think that's right. I think all those, it is going to be interesting to see, you know, when you have a huge company that's not just focused on podcasts, I think what you're seeing is they're like, well, this is a good space to to lighten the load and and make it a little leaner. Um, for our other offerings, they're sort of like, it does feel like often with the big companies podcasting is sort of the stepchild <laughs> of the situation, which I think, you know, as a podcaster and, and a stepchild, I don't appreciate. But <laughs> I do think that that as the the market tightens and the if the economy changes, I think you're just going to see that play out. Podcasting will sort of be a first on the chopping block in a lot of places. Yeah. And we've already, you mentioned, like we've seen layoffs at Spotify, which is really unfortunate. We also saw layoffs at Acast, which is really unfortunate. And like, just as a tech example, Facebook got into the podcast scene mm -hmm. last year. So 2021, they entered. And I think a little less than a year later, they already had announced that they were shutting down their podcast product. So yeah. And and they're doing that for totally different reasons, which is like, you know, they're focusing on their top priorities, which is like reels um, and yeah. taking on TikTok and, and the meta. metaverse. Right. And the metaverse. <laughs> so like different situation, but exactly like what you're talking about, where it just wasn't a priority. 
I don't know why they decided to get into it in the first place, but like just as an example of a tech company being like, okay, actually, we got to like pull back a little here. And not by a little. We got pulled back entirely. <laughs> I think that's what I wish I could just say. To, I wish we could have an industry-wide meeting with all, all of us. And I would just say, make us a priority. Like, we're worth it. We're worth it. Podcasting is worth it. Stop treating it like a stepchild or just some scalable part of your overall business. Like, give it the time. And I think that's what you hear from the people like that are laid off from Gimlet. It's just this, like, give us the time and attention we deserve. This is a really, really powerful medium. Obviously, we love it. We believe in it. I can tell from your reporting that you do too. And I just wish the broader industry could get on board. You're, spe- you're speaking it into the world. Maybe you're manifesting it. That's right. I learned that from Oprah on TV. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for spending some time with us. And thank you for your reporting. This industry, the Wild West, does feel very opaque. Mm-hmm. especially sitting here in Kentucky doing what we've been doing. We've been at seven years and it is still hard to know anything about what is actually happening and what's coming. And so your work is incredibly valuable to us. I appreciate that. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible. And skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze. And its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered shower head purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code PANTSUIT at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. 
That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, a.k.a. problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. As we wrap up our birthday celebration, thank you to Ashley Carmen for coming and talking to us. And we wanted to share some of your reflections on what you've learned from Pantsy Politics over the last seven years. Lots of amazing, funny, like, products. This is the thing I can't go without. Lots of you wearing more sunscreen and hat covering. I feel like I have personally, over the last seven years, prevented at least a single case of skin cancer. I'm just going to say it. With my relentless pursuit of hats and SPF and, and you know swim leggings and fresh guards. So I'm going to claim that mantle as we look over these other reflections. You deserve that mantle. We also know that several kids have been diagnosed early with type 1 Mm -hmm. diabetes because of how you shared about your experience with Felix. A lot of things that have nothing to do with politics that we'll hear from people. You said this one thing this one time, and here's how it changed my life. And that is a remarkable part of doing this. I can't think too much about that because it feels like... It makes me want to examine every word, but it is a real gift to hear that from y'all. Yeah, I do hear feel like the Felix type 1 diabetes episode will be my Oprah when the guy got in the camera and said, don't let yourself be taken to the second location. And then for years on Oprah, they people would come back and be like, somebody attacked me and I heard his voice and I didn't go and then I didn't get murdered. So it's like, that's our don't get moved to the second location. And look, we did that episode and I thought, I'm going to get these emails and still... When they come, I'm just a puddle on the floor because it is a an email like that I'm happy impacted people's life and that I don't want to get. I don't want anybody in this club with us. But I am so thankful and grateful, especially if it can it can reduce the trauma of someone's diagnosis by catching it early the way that that we did. And and Felix knows that. And we talk about when we get those messages too. So yeah, that's an that's an intense impact that has come our way via Pantsu Politics recently. So we wanted to share some of the, you know, the individual words you guys have emailed us because they've been so amazing. Um, We love this one from Nikki. She said, I'm Beth some days, Sarah some days, but mostly I'm me. I love that. We love that because there's no teams here. We're not trying to get anybody to pick a side ever on Pantsu Politics. So I love that. I do like it when people say, like, I see myself in both of you. I think that that's a really lovely compliment. I do, too. I hope it's true that listening makes you more you. That's the best thing that we could do. If if you listen to this and you feel more like yourself, that's the, that's the goal. I really felt like Carla uh, understood the insecurities in my head when she said, <laughs> I will never get tired of Sarah and Beth. I have this like perpetual fear of being stale or gimmicky or tired. And Sarah's mm-hmm. always like, the news is always changing. We're going to be talking about something different. <laughs> and I, on one level, know that's true. 
And I am working to dress that. And on another level, there is still a lot of like leftover corporate me that says, be so careful. People are going to get exhausted with you. So thank you, Carla, for never getting tired of us. I really appreciate it. There are so many times where I feel like we're worried about something and we're talking about something and we will get the perfect message from somebody that's like, of course, the the mythical iconic story is Elise emailing us and saying, you seem stressed. Could you use some help? <laughs> and now she's our managing director. So we were and we well. could. Yeah. <laughs> yes, we were and we could. Thank you, Elise. Renee wrote us and said, I've not found one episode that I didn't learn something from. And that's saying a lot considering my age, life experience, and what I did for a living up until three months ago. So I, I love that. I love that you're learning. And, you know, curiosity is definitely a guiding value here at Pantsuit Politics. So hearing from people that, you know, even especially the episodes where people come in thinking they know what they think and what they feel. And they go, man, by the end, I was like, okay, I guess I'll think about this differently now. That was the such a nice thing Brandon Harvey said in his episode when he came and talked to us. More than one person said, I've learned it's okay to change your political party. And what a gift that is to me uh, as someone who lived the fear of perhaps taking this whole thing down because I couldn't mm. uh, stick with the Republican Party anymore during the Trump era. So thank you for articulating that and for being flexible and open and adaptive in your own lives. And listen, as I said to my seven-year-old this morning when Chad and I were having a little debate about the purpose of the White House Instagram account, (laughs) our party affiliation should be the least interesting thing about us. Absolutely. And when that's not true anymore, we have a big problem. Yeah. That was a very pivotal moment in the history of pantsuit politics. And I think it illustrates such trust that we have with each other and such trust that the audience has with us that they weren't here for the gimmick. You know, I think the listen, I always want to be clear. I think the gimmick served us. It was a very easy on-ramp to explain our show for a long time. It served us. I think it helped our grow our audience in the beginning. By the gimmick, you mean that it was Sarah from the left. Left and Beth from the right. Right. I think that that was a good elevator pitch. But I am more proud of the fact that we were allowed, able, adaptable to leave that gimmick behind. Well, it just illustrates something that is true all the time in ways that the audience can't see. We are very clear on the fact that we love doing this. Hope we get to do it until we retire. Love it. And we will not sacrifice anything to do it. We won't. Mm-hmm. Like, there there are lots of things we are not willing to do in order to continue doing it. And the top of that list is lie to the audience. So oh, I yeah. just— I'm a terrible liar. Couldn't do it if I wanted to. Yeah. So <laughs> it just became really important to me. And honestly, audience expectations were a big reason I changed that party label because I just couldn't stand people saying, I feel deceived by your tagline. That mm. wasn't true for me, but it was true for them. And I'm yeah. not interested in deceiving anyone ever. Well, Melissa wrote in and said she feels like it is a way to engage with politics that is sustainable and feels hopeful. And I think that's what's wrapped up in that expectation. You know, we want we want to be the we want to be the Rick Steves of political podcasting. You know, we want to be that level of the people who love us, love us. Lots of people don't know who we are. And that's okay. You know, like that's okay. I just want to, you know, be here for the people who this serves and who who do feel like it's a holistic politics where they can process the news and f- leave feeling 
empowered instead of more anxious and more frustrated and more upset. I always tell people when I'm trying to explain what we do that it's a political podcast for people who hate politics. And everybody goes, oh, I think I'll listen. <laughs> you know, you know that that's sort of the guiding light. I think we've gotten clearer on that. I think mm-hmm. we, you know, for a long time, we had like a year and a half where we could not get the language right. We wanted to replace that gimmick. And I think we finally just realized, like, no, there's not. That's the point. And and we can't find another gimmick because we uh, adapt and evolve with ourselves. And so maybe we'll find the perfect one and then it won't fit anymore. We'll have to leave that one behind, too. You saying the Rick Steves of this makes me uh, think of two questions I wanted to ask you. So the first one is who that the audience has not seen, someone who's not been a guest on the show, comes to mind for you as like extremely influential over the past seven years, someone who's really kind of been a mentor or like personal board of directors type person for you? I would probably say our agent, Caroline. I feel like that was an also a very important but hidden moment in the the pantsuit politics history, but I think we'll go down as a very important one. She's incredible. She believes in us. She's also brilliant and funny and wonderful and incredibly supportive of our work here. When she you know, asked to represent us, it just felt like a vote of legitimacy when we really needed it. And I think when we were pivoting away from the gimmick and to have her come and say, I think what you do here is really important and I want to help you grow the show. And it just, so I think I would think I would say, Caroline, how about you? Well, now I'm mad at myself for asking this question because there are like so many people yeah, and you don't want to leave anybody out. I can't believe the Enneagram 2 asked this question. I know. Caroline came to mind for me immediately, too. There are lots and lots of people. I think I'm going to say Lita Moritz. Lita was at Apple on the editorial team and is now with NPR. But Lita spent so much time with us. First of all, Apple reaches out to us and we're like, do they they know we exist? Like there are over (laughs) a million podcasts on Apple Podcasts and someone there has a clue who we are. That was amazing. But then to actually get on a, you know, teleconference with her and to hear how much she had listened and how Mm -hmm. much she cared about what we were doing and how interested she was in how we did it and all of the connections within Apple that she helped us make. She's just someone who really comes to mind for me as a nurturer of this show, as as a show that could have some staying power. And it really means a lot to me. Yeah. it's There's something about people who have their eye on the entire universe of podcasting and then see us and say, hey, what you're doing is special. It just feels it feels really nice. It feels really nice when people recognize your work. That's why we love all of you. So what's your other question? Well, you know, when you blow out candles on a birthday cake, you make a wish. So I wonder what your wish is for next year. We're going to do this for another year. Yeah, you're in. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I definitely have plans to do this for many, many more more years. I was thinking, can I make it that Joe Biden and Donald Trump don't announce that they're going to run again? But I'll try to be less. I'd be fine. Snarky about my wish. Many of us share that wish. I share that wish. Um, I wish for pantsuit politics— that we can we continue our really sustainable and life-giving path that we are on right now. I feel like we are in a really, really good place that we have clarified what we're doing, that we have built out our team in a really wonderful, sustainable way. I love that we're going into the presidential cycle and it feels like, All our focus and all our energy is on the podcast. I love writing books, 
but it, it does d- sort of distract you. I thought the sort of TV pitch that we were working on for a while was really exciting. And also I find myself relieved that we just get to focus on this work and do what we love during a really important time in American politics, which feels like all the time that we've been doing fancy politics has been a really important time in American politics. But that is my wish. Well, this is totally characteristic because you have this macro wish and I have a micro one. (laughs) You know, one of the most frequent fair criticisms that we receive, a very fair criticism, is that we do not have enough diversity in guests on the show and in perspectives shared here. That is totally fair. We think and talk about it all the time. We've tried lots of different approaches to work on that. They often feel a little forced or hollow. And so what I'm coming to realize is that my wish is just to get to know better different communities and people who work with different communities and spend time in spaces that we don't have access to on a deep level, where we're spending time Mm -hmm. with them in person, where we're seeing what that work looks like on the ground, where we're in those communities, so that it is an outgrowth of a relationship by the time it makes it to the podcast, instead of being an attempt to improve what that looks like outwardly. I think that has to be inside out work. So my wish is just For those opportunities to arise, I know that we will dig in and invest as they do. And I'm just hopeful that they'll present themselves over the next couple of years. So as we were celebrating our birthday, we marked All Souls Day at my church. We talked about this on the podcast. I love All Souls Day and All Saints Day, which is a very ritualistic annual celebration of those who have passed. And I thought, for the first time ever in seven years, I thought, oh, we have listeners who have passed away that we never knew. You know, so many people write and and share with us and talk to us, but so many don't. And because of the nature of our relationship with our audience, you know, people have certainly passed and we just never knew. And I thought, oh, man, I've never thought about those souls You know how much I love and care for all the souls in this audience. I never really taken that moment to think, oh, we've lost listeners over the the course of the seven years. And so I I thought as we, you know, wrapped up our birthday celebration in a characteristically bittersweet way here at Pantsu Politics, I did want to say thank you to to all the souls who are a part of our community, both still with us and those who are no longer with us. Beth, happy birthday. Thank you for saying yes to that email seven years ago. Thanks for emailing me. Thanks to all of you for listening. We'll be back in your ears next Tuesday. And until then, keep it nuanced, y'all. Pantsuit Politics is produced by Studio D Podcast Production. Elise Knapp is our managing director. Maggie Penton is our community engagement manager. Dante Lima is the composer and performer of our theme music. Our show is listener-supported. Special thanks to our executive producers. Martha Brunitsky. Linda Daniel. Allie Edwards. Janice Elliott. 
Sarah Greenup, Julie Haller, Helen Handley, Tiffany Hassler, Emily Holliday, Katie Johnson, Katina Zuganellis Kasling, Barry Kaufman, Molly Kors, Lori Ladau, Lily McClure, Emily Neasley, The Hattons, Tawny Peterson, Tracy Putoff, Sarah Ralph, Jeremy Sequoia, Katie Steigers, Karen True, Annika Uveline, Nick and Elisa Valelli, Catherine Vollmer, Amy Whited, Jeff Davis, Melinda Johnston, Michelle Wood, Joshua Allen, Morgan McHugh, Nicole Berkless, Paula Bremer, and Tim Miller.